Hi, my name is Kyle Bomstead, and I'm a member here with Restored Church. Uh, if you're new, we want to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. Uh, we believe that church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we would love the opportunity to be able to connect with you. Uh, if you want to learn more about our church, or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website at restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. Uh, with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you see your faces. It's good to be back. Last week was, uh, was quite a week. We're camping. It was last week, yeah. Camping. I've lost track of days. We were camping in uh, Newport Dunes with my wife and kids and my in-laws and um, put down Ellie, my two-year-old, for a nap, and she woke up. She did not look good, and she tested positive for COVID. So that was the end of that camping trip, and uh, we came straight home, and we were home for almost two weeks, just at home. Two weeks. <laughs> it does things to people. By day three or four, I had to have pep talks, get me going. Hey, you, you can brush your teeth. You, you gotta brush your teeth. I'm not saying you have to change, but you gotta brush your teeth. It's like day three or four. Day seven, you know, I've been walking around barefoot. And I'm like, oh, we haven't swept or mopped. And I don't wanna face the truth by looking at the bottom of my feet. Day seven or nine, I'm like, okay, not showering, but I'm gonna wash my feet. And then day 10 is like, wait, am I preaching this month? What month is this? And I was like, yeah, multiple times, this Sunday. <laughs> Yesterday, I, uh, I changed. <laughs> Last night, I showered. Today, I put on deodorant. Tomorrow, I'm going to do laundry. Easiest laundry ever. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so COVID, huh? Even a mild one screws you over. It's crazy. After two weeks, my sense of smell is intact, but my motivation is just obliterated completely. So whatever you're going through, there's a psalm for that. That's the tagline of our series on the book of Psalms. And uh, we've been looking at the book of Psalms, and really it's just kind of an honest look at life. It's not all flowers and puppies. It just isn't. There's mountaintop moments of praise that we have as people who follow Jesus in this world. The Psalms give us language for that. Sometimes we have literal mountaintop moments, like when, when you guys went to the mountain, we go to the mountains, which by the way, if you're interested in that, Restored Family of Churches Retreat is coming up in October. If you don't know, we're restored as part of a family of churches, we're one of many churches, and we gather, we converge upon the mountain, Forest Home, in October. Everyone is welcome, information is on the app, check it out, a couple days away. So there's mountaintop moments like that of praise. But there's also a lot of moments where we just face scary situations, situations that are terrible, situations where we find ourselves in a mess, we're backed up against a corner, we're confused, and we're wondering, where's God? What do I do? The Psalms actually give us language for that, too. So whatever you're going through, there's a Psalm for that. And so today, on today's episode of the Summer in the Psalms, we're going to explore a Psalm that really teaches us how to navigate sticky situations that we may have contributed to or even caused. So buckle up. Let's pray. Join me. Pray for me. I'm a long time inside. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are kind, that you're merciful. Thank you that you're good to everybody who cries out to you and calls to you. Thank you that you make a space at the table for every human being. Your desire is to have everyone experience your love, to know you as dad, to know that they are a brother or a sister in a broader family, a family that's ruled by grace, a family that's ruled by your love. Thank you. And I pray for everybody here today, starting with me, that we would experience your love, that you would help me, just free me from the COVID fog that I'm in, and, um, and help me to do justice to this beautiful text that we're going to read today. Thank you that you're working. Thank you that you're already working, even before I stood up here, started speaking. We love you, and we thank you. 
And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, head over to Psalm 86. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along and the verses will be on the screen. Psalm 86 is a prayer or a psalm of David. We're going to talk a lot about David today, so I'm not going to get into it right now. I'm just going to go ahead and dive in and start reading. This is out of the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Verse 1 says this, Listen, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Protect my life, for I am faithful. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant's life, because I appeal to you. For you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cries for mercy. I call on you in the day of my distress. When things get hard, I turn to you. For you will answer me. So there's a confidence and a trust. When I do this, you're going to show up. Verse 8, Lord, there is no one like you among the gods. There are no other works like yours. Nobody does what you do. All the nations you've made will come down and bow before you, Lord, and will honor your name. For you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. Okay, so what's going on here? What's the deal? What's David going through? Why is he poor and needy? Why is he crying out? We start to get some answers here. I will praise you with all my heart, Lord, and honor your name forever. For your faithful love for me is great, and you rescue my life from the depths of Sheol. 14, here's where we start to get answers. God, arrogant people have attacked me. A gang of ruthless men intends to kill me. They do not let you guide them. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and in truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. So I turn to you. Turn to me now, God. Give your strength to your servant. Save the son of your female servant. Show me a sign of your goodness. Like Gideon. Show me a sign. My enemies will see it and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped and comforted me. That's Psalm 86. Got quiet there. Everybody hear that? Um, uh, Rich Donnelly was born in the 1950s, and he grew up in a place called Steubenville, Ohio, which is a fascinating place. Anybody ever heard of it or been there before? Yes, we got one. <laughs> Amber, way to go. We'll talk later. I got to know how you know about this place. I guess Dean Martin, famous uh, singer, Dean Martin, comes from Steubenville. A fascinating place. It's the kind of place, it's like a, it's a steel mill and coal town. And there's a lot of, um, it's kind of controlled by the mob, by organized crime, at least at this time. So there's a lot of, you know, night established places you could go and, and find underground entertainment if that was your thing. It produced some really tough people. Uh, when Rich was five, he went to get his, uh, what he, like, but whatever, vaccination booster or whatever. And the doctor was like, hey, it's time for your shot. And he, and he turns, I think it was one of those shots that goes like kind of here. And he turns and he just whacks the doctor. He just like slaps the guy. It's like, it's that kind of a town where people do that sort of thing. He's five. And he's like, you want a fresh one? He's like, doc? He's like, oh, golly. That's the kind of place it was. And that's the kind of kid he was. He was tough as nails. It's got to read you a quick story. It's a place where there's a lot of betting and underground, you know, uh, that kind of thing. So when he was in the third grade, a sister, he went to Catholic school. He, he grew up kind of going to church, and he was very interested, very spiritually sensitive child. He was really interested in God, prayed all the time. He would go to, go to mass, the Catholic school. And uh, a sister caught him in class betting with a betting sheet of college football games. So it was a big thing, like betting on college football. And he'd been playing parlay since he was five. That's how I learned to count, he said. And on this day, he was trying to decide who to pick in the annual Ohio State and Michigan game. And the nun says, Mr. Donnelly, what have you got there? And he says, sister, well, it's a thing. What do you do with it? She asked. Well, the eight-year-old answered, you pick three teams, and then you give five bucks to a bookie, and you play a three-team parlay. And the nun said, let me see that. She paused, circled three teams, and slipped him five bucks to lay a bet down with. (laughs) 
This is, and he was, you know, that's where he was from. That's the culture that he was shaped in. He was a tough cookie. Um, his big love was baseball. Like, he wanted to play Major League Baseball. In 19, I think, 60, there was a kind of, if, if you grew up playing baseball or maybe you grew up playing sports, as you, you know, if you were playing basketball, it's probably like, I dream about hitting that three-pointer at the end of, like, the, the final of the NBA, the NBA finals, I think they call them. I don't know anything about basketball. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you dream about that sort of moment. In 1960, if, you're, if you grew up playing baseball, what you dream of typically is hitting the game-winning home run in Game 7 of the World Series. Anybody have that dream? Yeah, yeah, yeah I see some hands. <laughs> yeah, I had that dream. In 1960, it happened. Bill Mazeroski for the Pittsburgh Pirates hit a game-winning home run that won the World Series for Pittsburgh, and that was Rich Donnelly's team, and that just captivated him. Like, that's my dream. And then, over the course of time, he started kind of hedging his bets. He's like, I'm not sure if I'm really cut out to be a major league player, but I want to be major league coach. I want to be a third-base coach, and I want to wave in the winning run in Game 7 of the World Series. Like, that's what kept him going. And uh, his dad was totally cool with that. His dad had this dream, too, that his two boys would make it to, the world, would make it to Major League Baseball to play. And uh, he had some interesting ways of trying to make that happen. Uh, he had Little League rules, which, were, which included no striking out. You ever played baseball? <laughs> Strikeouts are like breathing. It's like you just, you strike out. But his dad's rule was like no striking out. No swimming on game days. No leaving the front, front porch on game days. No TV on game days. No movies at the theater for the foreseeable future, if ever. Because he didn't want it to mess with their eyes. No looking at girls. No talking to girls. No flirting with girls. No driver's license, because that might impress a girl. You can't work at the mill. That might impress a girl. <laughs> you have early curfews, and definitely, if this wasn't clear already, no girls. That was Rich's life. That's the kind of dad he had. This isn't just happening, I'm not saying that anybody's doing that exactly that sort of thing, but you know how kind of parents can get kind of crazy about their kids making it professionally? That started not in 2020 in Temecula, or 2019 or whatever. That started way back in the day. It was always do more, work harder. He had tense, he could go two for four with two homers, and it was like, what about those two strikeouts? Or why did you ground out? It was just like that. It was tense, critical, and he knew I can never please my dad. And actually, Rich developed a stutter when he was younger under that pressure. So he found his escape in baseball and his dream was waving in a runner in Game 7 of the World Series. That's what he wanted. And he used to pray all day long. He said he would spend like 75% of the time he was in his room praying, which if that's true, even if that's sort of true, is really remarkable. He would pray in the morning. He would pray at night. He would pray the serenity prayer. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that prayer, but it was that, that kind of like, God, give me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. As a young boy, I mean, that's something. Eventually, he actually did play professional baseball, which is pretty cool. Uh, but he ended up coaching young. His baseball career didn't quite take off. He was a bit of a light hitter. But he was a good coach. And he ended up going through the system, and the life in the minor leagues is pretty tough. And uh, he ended up going through hard times. He and his wife, they got married, uh, had a miscarriage. And he really started to wonder about, like, trusting God. Can I trust, if I can't trust God with, my, with, my pregnant, with this pregnancy, like, can I trust him for anything? And he was kind of torn between trusting this God that he had pursued as a, as a young child and giving up. And so he kind of, he says in, his, in the book that was written about his life, like, hey, my faith became one of convenience. If I needed something, I'll pray. Otherwise, he just kind of went about his business. And he prioritized everything to pursue that dream of his, including neglecting his family. And he started to resemble some of his dad's tendencies, even though he didn't exactly replicate them. Strict control over his players. Rich, ultimately, he was focused on himself, and he was unable to focus on anything else for long. All of it caught up to him at a certain point. He broke trust with those closest to him. He hurt people. And he didn't know how to get out of it. He found himself in a spot in his life where he was just lost. He was lost and in need of help. And why do I tell this story? Obviously, I have a thing with baseball. I'm going to talk about it 90% of the time when I'm up here, 90% of the Sundays that I preach. But it's not just about baseball. I think this is, there's something about this that, that I relate to and I think you can relate to. Even though it's a dramatic example in terms of like professional baseball and this dream, I think everyone knows, myself included, what it's like to feel lost and in need of help. We can get off track in life very easily. 
whether it's in our parenting, in our singleness, in our marriage, in our work, in prioritizing work above all else. It's a relatable story. And we're all facing something, whatever it is, broken family, broken home, dealing with the effects of your father or your mother on you now, even as an adult. We need help. Whether we contributed to the problem or not, like we need help. And then here are the Psalms to help us. So in our psalm today, David is actually in a surprisingly similar situation. I don't know if you guys know the story of David and Absalom, but it is absolutely bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. David, to back up a little bit, David was called the man after God's own hearts. So some of you guys know that. If you don't know, David was passionate, radical, fiery. He loved God and he you know, took his clothes off and danced in front of people. He didn't care. That's a literal fine. He, he was that committed. He would dance in the nude as king. And it wasn't weird. Maybe it was weird. But it came out of a place of passion. I'm not saying that we should do. Fine. David, the man after God's own heart, he went through a lot of hard times. He passed a really difficult test. I don't know if you guys remember this, if you don't know the story. Saul, who was the king, was trying to kill David. And David never took revenge into his own hands. He loved Saul. He wept when Saul died. I mean, this is radical love for your enemy type stuff. So he passed that test, but where we're catching up with him in the story, David's actually failed. He's failed. He abused Bathsheba and murdered Uriah, her husband, and he lied and tried to cover it up. I was thinking about this. This is straight out of The Godfather. This is straight, like he's, he acts like the head of a crime family. Like, tonight, Uriah the Hittite sleeps with the fishes. He's like, David, what do you mean? When the fighting is most intense, I want you to put him in the front and then back away quickly. He's like, oh my gosh, David, you have problems. That's, that's what he did. He, he, he had Uriah the Hittite whacked. He stole his wife. It's crazy. And then his kids are an utter mess, too. There's, like, fighting between them. There's Ammon, and then there's, uh, there's Absalom. And I don't know if you guys have ever watched The Godfather, but there's this scene where um, one of the brothers goes to the other brother and was like, I know it was you. You broke my heart. Like, I know it was you. That's in the story, basically. That's basically there. It's like, my brother Ammon did this. Absalom's like, what did you do, Ammon? You hurt my sister? And then he, just, he grabs Joey Zaza and Enzo the baker and whacks the guy. He's a dead man. You broke my heart, Ammon. You broke my heart. But this isn't a mom movie. This is David's life. This is his family. David's own children repeat his pattern of abuse and murder. His own kids. And then Absalom is trying to take his throne. He's trying to overthrow David. David's in trouble. And there's no clear path for what he should do. How should he respond to this? And obviously, the big part of this is his, his own failures, his own failures as a father, too. And so this psalm is David's plea for help. That's what scholars think. Even though it doesn't tell us exactly what he's responding to, that's the story that best fits this psalm. So I want to talk about three things today. David's plea consisted of three things. If you're taking notes, if, you, if you're the kind of person who likes to take notes, which I encourage, here's the first thing. David's plea for help consisted of, number one, longing for soul renewal. Number one, longing for soul renewal. David struggled uh, with the Gospel Transformation Bible, which, by the way, is a great resource. If you're looking for Bibles uh, to ha that have helpful commentary, that's one. It talks about how David may have had a sense of shame because he lost the moral high ground. He cheated. He didn't cheat. He was, it was more than cheating. It was abuse and murder. And then his family fell apart. He lost his moral high ground. And maybe he had an inability to forgive himself. He was human. And yet, Psalm 8611, amazing. Psalm 8611, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. That's the cry of his heart. That's out of the NLT. I thought it was a little, a little easier to quickly grasp. The man after God's own heart is basically saying, I've blown it. I have a ways to go. I have much to learn. I'm not a finished product. 
but you're not done with me yet. Change me from the inside out. That's the cry of David. Though I have to live with the consequences, because the consequences for what he did remained, you can change me in the midst of them. David longed for soul renewal. Rich Donnelly, I was talking about earlier, he once had been a man after God's own heart too. Uh, he had once waited for marriage, for his wife to actually consummate the marriage. Now after going through some hard times, he found himself untethered, drifting, vulnerable, like David. No longer meaningfully connected to his Lord, one day Rich saw something, desired it, took it, and he fell, just like Adam, just like David. He, had a, he took a woman that was not his wife and was living with her, and he covered it up. He was living a double life. And eventually he was caught in that lie. And I think some of us know what it's like to live in a lie and get caught, right? Maybe it's a secret porn addiction. It could be an affair. It could be hiding something like David did. A lot of us know what that's like. Others of us know what it's like to feel distant from God, untethered from him, vulnerable, on the brink of doing something really bad. And it's like, hey, if I get the opportunity, I may not have the strength to say no. Some of us know what it's like to have everything but seemingly feel empty on the inside, like David. We know what it's like. All of us know what it's like to deal with family squabbles, conflict, and see things fall apart. All of us know the pain of dealing with someone who's spiraling and coming to the realization, I can't change them. I cannot change this person's heart. David is writing from a situation like this. And if this is you today, I know it's hard, but there's hope. There's hope in this psalm. David recognizes his need, and he cannot put him, pull himself up by his bootstraps. He cries out for soul renewal. He knows what he needs. He cries out for two things. Teach me your way, God. Help me to follow you. And then he asks for a single-minded loyalty so that I won't get distracted, so that I won't veer off course. Rescue me from myself, Lord. Restore my soul. I actually started praying that this week. If you're looking for like a quick handle, if you forget, if you tune out everything else I say, just write that down. See if your life doesn't change if you start praying that regularly. One of the, one of the situations where I found myself praying that this week was just a kind of ordinary parenting situation. I know not, not everybody in the room is a parent, but I am one. Ordinary parenting situation. I am dealing with one of my kids who I can't really help. I, I just can't. No matter what I say, no matter what I do, there's no coming out of it. This, this child is just struggling, and what I'm tempted to do is just default to what I know, which is push control. Pull the levers, maybe get the right outcome, which doesn't work. It doesn't change hearts, but that's what I'm tempted to do to regain a sense of control in the situation and to feel at peace. So instead of doing that, I remembered this, Then I prayed, rescue me from myself, Lord, restore my soul. Rescue me from myself, Lord, restore my soul. Hardest thing to do as a parent <laughs> is to be like, no, 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 <laughs> And the situation turned around. I'm not saying it's always going to be that simple, neat, and easy. I'm not saying that. But I am saying it's better than what I usually do. And so we have an opportunity to turn, to learn to turn. Learn to turn. That's what this message is ultimately all about. So learn to turn to God in our, in our painful situations and circumstances when we cannot change things. And it's like learning anything new. Is it easy to start working out? Is it easy to start investing? Is it easy to start planting? Is it easy to start eating healthier? Do you see results right away at first? No. But over the course of time, there's, there's growth. So if we become the kind of people who turn, who learn to turn to him in the midst of our circumstances, why wouldn't God honor that prayer? Why wouldn't he change us? Rescue me from myself, Lord. Restore my soul. At one point I found myself praying, rescue me from my fear. You could pretty much put anything. Rescue me from blank. Blankety blank blank. Whatever it is. So this psalm teaches us that a big part of facing circumstances that are difficult is facing our own need for soul renewal in them. That was the first part of David's cry, longing for soul renewal. What would it look like to face difficult circumstances this week, longing for soul renewal? A difficult situation with your child or with your parent, with a friend, with a coworker, with a boss that's being unreasonable or demanding, with a family member 
that just won't let it go, or even a stranger that you run across in the street? How might your life change if in the midst of your circumstances, your brokenness, your pain, instead of defaulting to handling it the way you always have, you cry out to God to restore your soul and to teach you his way and ask him to change you? We change first by admitting how weak we are and asking for help. Lord, rescue me from my way, restore my soul. That's the first part. He longed for soul renewal. Number two, if you're taking notes, he leaned on God's grace. This is the second part of David's cry. He leaned on God's grace. Uh, Real quick, Psalm 86, verses three to five. Be gracious to me, Lord. Do you notice how many times he talked about grace and the love of God? For I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant's life because I appeal to you. For you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. Imagine a crime boss saying those words after he whacks a guy, covers it up. Here it is. It's in the Bible. Not that hard to imagine. Though you've fallen... It's like David saying, though I've fallen, you're committed to me, God. So now I commit to you. Give me grace. Forgive me where I've sinned, restored my joy. Fascinating. I've had a time to think about this uh, story this week. What are the sorts of things that we tend to do when things get really hard? We tend to blame sometimes, depending on wiring, temperament, situation. Sometimes we blame others. Sometimes we blame God. Sometimes we pull back and try to handle it ourselves. Sometimes we pretend like everything is awesome and everything is fine, or that things are at the very least better than they really are. So there's a sense of covering. You know what David does? He uncovers himself. Not literally this time. Bears his soul, though he does do that from time to time, as I mentioned previously. He bears his soul. He knows that God's forgiving. He's not running away. He's being honest with himself about himself. I'm going to say that again. He's being honest with himself about himself. Without it, he would never seek grace. That's worth chewing on this week. He's owned his part, and then he can say, God, please own your part. You're the forgiver. Forgive me. Do you know what this means? Do you know what this means? This means you don't have to get your act together to come to God. Whatever you're going through, he knows, and he stands ready to forgive you. He stands ready to forgive all who come to him. That's who he is. Did you know that? I want you to imagine a parent-child relationship. And in this particular parent-child relationship, the dad is incredibly safe. And you can turn to him for anything. He knows his child. He knows the child's strengths. He knows the child's weaknesses. He's committed to helping this child grow and develop into the person, the man or the woman that he's actually made them to be. I guess I'm giving away the punchline here. If God was their father, he's the one who made you. Your mom and dad didn't make you, although they played an important part. Mom more so than dad. God made you. This father sometimes, sometimes will let you make bad choices. I'm going to say that again. This father will let you make bad choices. But when you turn to him, he'll never send you away. He knows what to do and he can help. Imagine if that was God, your father. How would your life change if he was the first person you turned to in times of trouble, in times of temptation, in times of loneliness, in times of loss? Because you know he's gracious. Rich Donnelly did not know that about God. His daughter Amy, when she was 17, was diagnosed with cancer which is a terrible thing to go through, period. But you can imagine a 17-year-old who's healthy, who's an athlete, comes down with cancer. Just horrific, terrible, life-changing diagnosis. And he was wondering, is God punishing me? Because Rich Donnelly broke up his marriage. He'd broken up his first marriage. He'd kind of become an absentee dad. He'd alienated his children. In some ways, he resembled his father's own brokenness without fully doing exactly what his dad did. His dad was abusive, and Rich was absent. So now he's a man. He's a broken man in a world of pain with a daughter who's got cancer. He did not know that God was gracious. 
He started blaming himself. He started blaming God. He started blaming everybody. Now his daughter, Amy, has nine months to live, and his guilt is off the charts. Professionally, he's at the top of his game. He's actually a third base coach on a major league team, if you can believe it, with the Pirates, his team. Professionally, soaring. Personally, crumbling. His lifelong dream is about to come true, but he's going to find out it's empty. Pointless, because he gave up everything for it. All those years of being self-focused, of neglecting his family and relationships, of being unable to focus on anything else, broke him. But in the middle of his pain, something amazing happened. His daughter started to change. She was wasting away on the outside because of the chemo, but inside it was like she's being renewed. Amy was kinder, gentler. She had an angry edge like that. It was starting to fade. The chemo wasn't destroying her. It was like she was being put back together. The relationship, which had been strained naturally by dad's adultery and estrangement, was actually growing. She she forgave her dad. Part of the church, God was doing something in this 17-year-old girl. In the worst situation possible, she was changing. Things weren't perfect, but she was remarkably joyful. She wasn't bitter. Just imagine for a moment, you get a diagnosis like that. Who here, don't raise your hand, would become a little embittered? I I deserve better. She didn't become bitter. She was actually becoming her true self in the middle of her pain. But Rich Donnelly still did not know that God was gracious. One day, they're joking around. Amy and her dad, again, their relationship is being reconciled, it's being restored. They're joking around, you know, her dad is a third base coach. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Major League Stadiums can get loud. Not Angel Stadium, but some, some um, baseball stadiums can actually get pretty loud. Check out Los Angeles or San Diego. Um, and so, third base coach, how do you talk to somebody who's 90 feet away? Hey! Like, you have, to, you have to yell. And so he would cup his hand and go like this. So, so his, his voice would actually carry. That was his job. And his daughter was always like, what are you doing when you do that? Because you look so goofy getting down on that squat. And he, she said, hey, Dad, when you get down on that stance and you cup your hands, what are you telling those guys? The chicken runs at midnight or what? And there was a pause and everybody was like, what did you just say? the most random, hilarious thing we've ever heard. Where'd you come up with that? She's like, I don't know, just came out. And so that became their family's like rallying cry. Chicken runs at midnight, chicken runs at midnight. They would sign letters to each other, C-R-A-M, chicken runs at midnight. It was all these little moments of grace in Rich's life, even though he thought God is punishing me. But he had no idea what was in the works, something that would change his life. It actually had a, re- a, re- a revelation of the love of God for him. But it had to wait because he wasn't ready to see it yet. He wasn't ready to understand that God was gracious amidst his pain. Maybe you're here today and you're just not ready to see that. But even though you're ex- you've experienced pain, whether it's caused by someone else or you've contributed to it, either way, you've experienced pain and not quite ready to see God's grace in it, that's okay. It takes time if you're really in it especially. And sometimes we can only see it on the other side of the mess. Either way, I just want to ask the question, like, what would happen to you if you gave God the benefit of the doubt through whatever you're going through? What would happen to you? What if you did for God what you want everybody to do for you, what I want everybody to do for me, which is to give me the benefit of the doubt? What if you gave God the benefit of the doubt and assumed the best about him? What if you didn't have to figure things out on your own? Or just turn to the normal places that you can normally turn to because he is available in your pain. I've got a quote from John Goldingay who wrote one of, the, one of my favorite Psalms commentaries, and I think this is a great quote. Out of Psalm 86, Yahweh, that's the name of God in the Old Testament. Yahweh has made a commitment. He is unable to get out of being committed, even as human beings fail in their commitment. He's made a commitment. It's kind of like um, like a wedding band. Like God has committed Himself to His people, and He's not taking it off. He's actually going to follow through on His end, which is to love His people. So number three. Number three, 
the last part of David's plea. Loving God despite the hardship. This is the hardest part. Loving God despite the hardship. Psalm 86, verses 8 to 10. Loving God despite the hardship. Say this. Lord, there is no one like you among the gods. There are no works like yours. All the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and will honor your name. You are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. This is not bitter. This is admiration. It's like you, you downright like this God that you're talking to. Like the nations will come before you. My world is falling apart, but I'm thinking about how amazing you are that people are going to come to you. You're doing some, something wonderful on the earth and I see it. By the way, this is one of my absolute favorite uh, visuals, the nations coming before God. If you've never like, kind of considered what that could look like, I want you to think about the Olympics. Any Olymp- fans of the Olympics here in the house? Seven of you? Yeah, Olympics have fallen on hard times. You guys remember when the Olympics were like, everybody stop, the whole world stopped to watch the Olympics? It's better days. Anyway, <clears throat> the Olympics. So there's this event every four years called the Olympics. It's been happening since a long time. And uh, they have an opening ceremony. Every nation on earth, I think, goes, or the vast majority of them at least, send their best athletes. So imagine if you're, uh, you know, if you play water polo. Is water polo an Olympic sport? I don't know why. Yes, confirmation. Water polo. Let's say you're a killer water polo player here in Southern California. Southern California is super competitive. You might have a chance at the Olympics. Let's say you get chosen to go to the Olympics. You're a water polo player from Murrieta. You get to go, and let's say the Olympics are in Atlanta. Why Atlanta? Why not? Atlanta 96, that's why. Say the Olympics are in Atlanta, and you are chosen as one of the delegates. Do you know what you get to do? You get to walk into the Olympic Stadium holding the banner of your country. Anybody ever seen this? Anybody know what I'm talking about? All the nations stream in to the stadium. And so imagine this, all the nations streaming in to bow down to God. I represent the U.S. of A. And Puerto Rico. Which one? Are they the same? Are they different? Confusion. Lord, <laughs> I'm here either way. That's, that's what's going to happen. The nations are going to come and bow down before the Lord. So imagine you're going through the worst time of your life, and that's what you're thinking about. Holy smokes, they're all going to come into the stadium with their flags. Trinidad and Tobago. Why not? Panama. Chile, Argentina, Guadalupe, Martinique, could go on. All of the nations are going to stream in. That's what he's thinking about. If you're doing something wonderful on the earth and I see it and I love you. I love you. Verse 12, I will praise you with all my heart, Lord my God, and will honor you forever. And here's the key to the whole thing. Verse 13, for your faithful love for me is great. And you rescue my life from the depths of Sheol. You're doing something wonderful in me, and I see it. Something wonderful in the world, something wonderful in me. There's an incredible love at play here. If you guys remember, Grant preached a message weeks ago that we could have titled, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. I don't think what we're talking about here invalidates that. I think it completes it. This is the other side of Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. It's I've, I've turned the corner in a sense, not to invalidate that experience, but I turn the corner and I see him. How is it possible to go through the worst period of your life and come through it loving and not blaming God? David believed he was love. Do you? David believed he was loved. Do you? I love the youth up here sharing what they were sharing because they, did you notice the emphasis? Love. We will love you and accept you. God loves you, and so will we. That's the key to going through the worst period of your life. It's still loving God and not blaming him. God made promises to David. If you don't know the story, I'll go through it quick. 
God, God made incredible promises to David that he was gonna have a son on his throne forever. And even in that moment where there was a violent, did you know what was at stake? There was a violent power grab for what? David's throne. That's what was being threatened in this moment. And it was like, I can see past all this to what's actually coming. I can be dethroned, but God, you're gonna place a king on it forever who won't be. One of my descendants. It's as good as done, you've promised it. Things look lost now, but God, you will rescue me from death itself. It's like the light of God's love is dawning right there in the darkness of night. Fast forward a thousand years, if you can do that quickly in your mind. It's a dark, cold, pitch black night in Jerusalem. In a familiar spot, Jesus is overcome with anxiety at what he's about to face. He asks his father three times, is there another way? There is no other way. Jesus, though he was faultless, spotless, innocent, was about to take on himself all the consequences of all of our choices and our brokenness. He was heading to his death right there in Jerusalem, a thousand years before his ancestor David penned Psalm 86. Jesus took it all. David's adultery, our sin and rebellion, he took all of it. It was all placed on him. Why? What was the point of that? So we who are guilty can be forgiven. God just can't wipe away. Lest, lest I need to remind everyone, David actually whacked a guy and stole his wife. How is that okay? What kind of God would it be if it was just like, that's fine. It's like Uriah could claim like, you're an evil God. You are evil, but Uriah is not claiming that because the son has come and on him, all of our sins were placed so that we can be forgiven. In the midst of our trials, there is hope. The greatest tragedy the human, the human, the human race has ever known has become its greatest triumph in Jesus. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining in the lives of people just like you. In me. Rich Donnelly did not know that God was gracious. He didn't know it. Uh, his daughter, Amy, uh, took a turn for the worst in 1993. This was like in 92. In 93, she took a turn for the worst, and um, some experimental, I think, bone marrow stuff that they wanted to do for her didn't pan out, and she died. 17 or 18 years old, she died. And when they went to bury her, they had to decide, what are we going to put on, on her grave? What's going to mark it? And they all kind of looked at each other, and they were like, chicken runs at midnight. Chicken runs at midnight. It's got to be that. So on her grave, it says, Amy Donnelly, the chicken runs at midnight. She died in 1993. Rich Donnelly was like, this is God, this is cruel, and confusing. What the heck? Fast forward four years. He is now the third base coach for the Florida Marlins, which if you know anything about baseball, you're like, oh, sorry, man. But this was 1997. This wasn't any normal year. The Florida Marlins made it to the World Series that year. They knocked off the Atlanta Braves. Sorry, Christian. <laughs> well, you probably weren't even born at that point. <laughs> I don't even know if he's in this room. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Christian's a big Braves fan, if you don't know. Um, so, yeah, so they're in, the world, they're in the World Series. He's the third base coach for a team in the World Series. All of his dreams are coming true. And the, the World Series went to a game seven. Went to a game seven. Uh, the, the game was long. If you've ever watched a baseball game, especially if you're not a baseball fan, you're like, these are interminable. <laughs> I don't feel that way, but I get it if you do. But this one was particularly long because it was, they're squeezing all of the playoff money, uh, advertising money out of these long commercial breaks, and then they went into extra innings, which if you know anything about, it's like extra time. The stakes could not be higher. It's just, it, it's the most exciting thing unless you're in it, unless you're up to bat. 
most exciting thing in sports, I think. And so it's the 11th inning, and there's a guy who comes up to the plate. His name is Craig Council. If you guys don't know who Craig Council is, I don't blame you. Somewhat obscure. If you know baseball, you know who he is, but if you don't. But he was this ball player who looked like, who are you? You don't belong here. You just did not have the look. He was really skinny. He's the kind of guy, like, if you bean him, I'm like, ooh, did you break something? And sometimes it was. Yeah, my ankle's broken. Thanks, man. Um, anyway, so he had this thing where he, he would do this. And if you're on the podcast, I'm sorry. I'm flapping my wings like a chicken. <laughs> and so uh, my, Rich Donnelly's kids, Tim and, and uh, Mike, started calling him the chicken man, chicken wing, because he would do this. I, don't, I think this is funny. Anyway, so the chicken man's up. Chicken wing is up, and he's on third base. He gets to third base. And um, Charles Nagy, who was the Cleveland Indians pitcher at the time, basically he had to get out of this, or this, the World Series was over. He threw a little slider. Not a bad pitch, I thought, but Edgar Renteria hit it up the middle. Base hit. World Series is over. Rich Donnelly gets to wave in the winning run of the World Series, if you can believe it. So he's losing his mind, as you can imagine, absolutely bananas. He's looking for his kids, and one of his kids is just in tears. And um, the, oh, do we have the video clip? Play it. <laughs> Fans all over the field, everybody's going crazy, and all of a sudden, I, I'm trying to find my son, Tim and Mike, and I see Tim and Mike, and they both run up to me, and Tim is hysterical, and he's crying. And he says, Dad, look. And he's screaming, look. I said, what do you mean, look? He said, look up at the clock. I had no idea what he was talking about. I looked behind me at the clock, the stadium clock. It was 12 o'clock midnight. He said, Dad, the chicken ran at midnight. I was stunned. I say every emotion in my body was just limp. The chicken ran at midnight. Like she said, four years earlier, how'd she know? Okay, we can pause it there. The psalmist asks for a sign from heaven. You may have missed it. Give me a sign of your goodness. God is so kind that sometimes he condescends to us. Condescend is not my favorite word because it sounds like I'm condescending, like I'm disgusted by you. Not like that. He meets us right where we need him too. That moment, as you might imagine, changed Rich Donnelly's life because it was a sign from heaven in the midst of your worst pain and suffering, I am with you. Rich Donnelly finally figured it out. Father, my Father in heaven is not cruel but kind. There's more to life than building my legacy and accomplishments. I can be forgiven for my compromises and indiscretions. No matter how lost I am, God can find me and bring me home. He felt free. This man repented to his ex-wife, repented for what he did. He repented to his kids for not being there for them. He repented to the people that he had wronged. He made a list and started working through it. God's kindness led him to repentance. God's love changed his heart, just like it did for David, just like it does for you and me if we experience it, if we receive it. We don't have the chicken runs at midnight in our lives necessarily, although it's a cool story, I think. Might be turned into a major motion picture soon, we'll see. But what we have is a sign from heaven of God's divine love, Jesus on the cross. For you and for me. Saying, I love you this much. Inviting everybody to come to him. You know what's amazing about Rich Donnelly's life, among other things? This dude took it all off. Again, not literally. He unveiled himself. He talked about how he cheated on his wife. He talked about how he was an absentee. Who does that? Books don't pay that much. They don't. Why would he do that? Because he had been seen by God and loved in it, and now he uses his story to help other people experience the love and the forgiveness of God, just like David did through this psalm. 
Whatever you're going through today, I'm telling you, Jesus is proof that you can walk through it confidently, longing to change, leaning on God, loving him. You may have secrets that may need to come out. I'm not, telling you, not saying you have to tell everybody, but you may have to unburden yourself of some things that are weighing you down. By the way, gospel community is a safe space to grow and to journey with people. In our gospel community, people have confessed to being addicted to pornography. People have, have, have confessed all kinds of things. Not on day one. It takes time to get there, to build trust. But at the end of the day, if God knows everything about us and loves us so much that he was willing to die for us, that's the kind of life that you can live. He knows what it's like to suffer. He suffered on the cross for you, with you. He suffers with you today. There's no one like him. I'm going to invite you to stand up. I'm going to call the band up. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, I want to remind you of something that's easy to forget. He lives in you. The same Jesus who patiently endured suffering and trials lives in you. He can help you. You just got to ask. So I just want to ask a question today. Wherever you're at, what do you need? What are you going through? What do you need help with today? What do you need in order to learn to love God in the midst of this hardship? How might you need to experience his love today? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need direction in life? Do you need grace? Do you need a renewal inwardly that will lead you to actually endure the hard stuff outwardly? What do you need? What do you need? I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you. You're kind and you're gracious. You're good. You are good. No matter what we're going through, no matter what difficulties, painful circumstances, what we're carrying, whether it's shame, whether it's guilt, whether it's confusion about you in the midst of our hard situations, I thank you that you have shown by sending your son that you love us and you're with us in it. Teach us to learn to turn to you in the hard stuff, like David did. It doesn't get a lot worse than what he did, but he turned to you. you now, what, what hope, what comfort for us today? Would you speak to us? Would you help us? Would you give each of us a next step? God, we love you, and we thank you. Do you know me pray? Amen. Uh, so I'm going to invite you guys to sing. We're just going to sing to him. For this Jesus who died for us. Uh, some of us might just need to sing today. That might be it. That might be enough for you. Others of us might need more. We might need to spend some time quietly praying, asking God for his help and whatever you're going through. I'm just going to invite you. Sing, pray. I'm going to call the, the prayer team actually off to the side. Right here. Trusted men and women who love our church. They're safe and they would love to pray. If something popped out from today's message, if you're going through some sort of loss and you're having a hard time connecting with God in the midst of it, if you find yourself just going back to the same old, same old, the usual places that you always go to, but you want something different, go and pray. Go and receive prayer. I'll be back up in a little bit. Elisa, come on up. Before the gatherings every week, we have a time of prayer outside. And uh, Lisa and Heidi do a great job of leading that team and the prayer team. And uh, every so often, things come up that we feel like might be helpful to share from the front in case it potentially resonates with one or more people in the room. So Lisa got a couple things that she ran past me that I think would be helpful to hear. Hi. Um, one of them was just like a sense of anger um, that maybe has been in your heart for a while or may not be safe to let out with anyone but God, but I feel like there's this impression of him saying, like, take it to me, like, bring me your anger, um, that he is safe for anything that you have to say. Um, and then also this picture, um, it could be a woman, I'm not sure, but um, of a crowd of people, like, surrounded 
um, surrounding Jesus, and they're in awe. They're praising him, and they are just in awe of what he's doing. But there's someone in the back, and they can't see him. And they want to believe, but they're just, they can't see him. So I just, I would love to pray for you. Thanks, Lisa. And Lisa will be over here on the side if, if either of those resonate with you. So anger, that may need to be taken up with God himself. Or this sense of like, I'm, I don't know if I'm understanding if I see his grace. Um, love, to get, love for you to go get prayer. And then one last thing, Lachlan's just coming in strong today. That's Lisa. Kevin sent me this uh, quote from Albert Einstein. You may have heard of him. He said, uh, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. I think it's just a genius. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. And then Jesus. <laughs> Jesus would say, we cannot solve our problems with the same heart we used when we created them. And isn't that true? <laughs> so if you're here, whether it's anger, maybe it's a sense of of distance from God not being seen by him or maybe it's just you're realizing oh I've contributed to the problems that I have in my life maybe even caused them it's time for a renewal go get prayer I think Jesus is ready to receive all who come to him let's keep singing Father thank you thank you for sending your son Thank you for sending him into our troubled world and for the ways in which he's transforming it. One person at a time, one situation at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time, new life is breaking into this fallen and broken world and you will not stop until it's renewed all the way. Thank you, Father. Till the nations stream in. Thank you. God, we love you. And we're grateful to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. I'm like, try to land the plane here quickly. Um, do you guys mind throwing up the final thoughts slide? So I have a few final thoughts. Um, I think if we grasp the the reality of Jesus and what he's done, our losses actually lead us to our Lord. They teach us to turn. So a huge part of what today's about is like learning to turn, learning to turn to him. So I was thinking about this. Uh, I thought of um, male, model, male model Derek Zoolander, who went through a lot in his life. He didn't know how to turn. He's not an ambi-turner. He just knew one way. One way to turn. It's like, I can't go that way. I can only go this way. And he went through a lot. He lost everything. But at his lowest moment, he was transformed. He learned to turn. Why do I say this? Because you can too. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your difficulties, you are not worse than Derek Zoolander. You can learn to turn. Not the way that you've always done things. Not to the same old, same old not to the same ways of thinking, not to the same ways of handling things, not to the same, I've got this, everything is fine, we're gonna be fine, everything's cool, but to actually, I don't got this, I need you. Like, you can learn to turn. And the thing that I've thought about most of the week is this, as we turn to him in our troubles, we're actually transformed. We actually learn what it means to be a loved son or daughter, to experience his rescue and experience his love. I just want to encourage you this week, learn to turn, whatever that looks like for you. Whatever old patterns of thinking, whatever old ways of doing things that don't work, what if for a minute it was just, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, help me. What if there were a lot of moments this week where we just went like this to ourselves before we blurted out the thing that comes naturally, before we do the thing and we just, Jesus, help me. I think we'd be transformed. So we're going we're gonna to wrap it up right here. Soft close. It's 11.52. we got eight minutes. Uh, if you have kids, kids ministry is open until noon. Please go grab them. Uh, if you don't have kids, if you if want to hang, feel free to hang. Feel free to enjoy some conversation. 
If there's a conversation you need to have, go have it. If you need to get out of here to go have lunch, go do that. If you feel like somebody is on your heart, go pray for them or go get prayer. We've got men and women still available to pray for you. And uh, we have a few minutes left, so enjoy it.